They are 11 warriors. Yes, they are the 11 warriors. The most disciplined and the toughest damn dudes you're ever going to be around. Welcome into Real Pod Wednesdays. Dan Hope joined by Griffin Strom on this third week of January, which has brought some clarity on what Ohio State's 2023 football roster and its 2023 NFL draft class is going to look like for the next season. So that's where we're going to start. Starting, of course, with the big news that came on Monday morning. CJ Stroud, he left us in suspense. He was, uh, there were, there were, Rumors out there, you know, over the, the past week where, you know, people started to think that CJ Stroud was actually going to come back. Indications were that, you know, it really was a hard decision for him and that he gave some serious thought to returning for his senior year with the Buckeyes, but ultimately did make the, the decision that I know both of us were anticipating all along, where he declared for the 2023. NFL draft on Monday, a decision that really we've been expecting since this time a year ago. It, it was always the expectation that this past season would be his final season at Ohio State. And I, I think when you look at this decision from a business standpoint, it, it was a pretty obvious decision for CJ Stroud. You look at all the mock drafts out there, he's pretty much universally projected to be a top 10 overall pick. If he gets that, he'll get more than $20 million in guaranteed money. And while I'm, I'm sure that he would have been compensated well on the NIL front had he decided to play another season at Ohio State, the NIL money wasn't going to compete with that. Yeah, Dan, I mean, certainly when you talk about C.J. Stroud, you could make a case that, you know, he had some unfinished business at Ohio State when you talk about the two Michigan losses, no Big Ten championships, things like that. So, you know, if, if that was part of his his thought process, it would make sense. But at the same time, it's not like if he stayed a year that his you know stock was going to necessarily improve a whole lot or that it was a or that it will be a down year in terms of quarterbacks in the draft. When you look at guys like Caleb Williams, Drake May potentially coming out the following year. And, you know, like you said, as much NIL money as you know could possibly have been generated, it still doesn't seem really in the ballpark of, you know, the, the 20 million plus in guaranteed money that Stroud stands to gain by coming out this year. Yeah, I think from an NFL draft stock standpoint, CJ easily had more to lose than he had to gain from returning to Ohio State for another year. Now, like you said, I I think the unfinished business is why this was such a hard decision for him. Because, I mean, you could hear it after the Michigan game. That I think there was absolutely some internal struggle there for CJ of knowing that you know, part of his legacy as an Ohio State quarterback is going to be, at least in the minds of some fans, that he never won a big one. He he didn't he didn't beat Michigan. He didn't win a college football playoff game. I, I, I think there was certainly a pull for CJ to want to come back and have another shot at beating Michigan, have another shot at winning a national championship. And certainly had he done those things, I mean, we'd be talking about you know, somebody who's already one of the greatest quarterbacks in Ohio State history, but you know, he would have had a chance if he had come back, certainly I think to potentially cement himself as the best quarterback in Ohio State history. But I also think most fans can agree that CJ's making the right decision here in terms of his future, in, in terms of the opportunities that are available to him. You, know, you look at the draft board most likely is going to be one of the top two quarterbacks selected this year, along with Alabama's Bryce Young. I know that, you know, Will Levis from Kentucky is in that conversation as well. So maybe he's the third quarterback, but that all is going to kind of develop over the next three and a half months leading up to the first round of a draft on April 27. But I mean, you just look at the draft board. I, I think there's a lot of potential landing spots up there in the top 10. I mean, it, I mean, it starts with the number one overall pick. Obviously, we don't expect the Bears to draft a quarterback because they have Justin Fields, but they could trade that pick to somebody who wants the pick. And, and there's a lot of teams up there in that top 9, 10, 11 range who, who I could see as teams that would be interested in C.J. Stroud. I mean, you start with the Texans, number two overall pick, the Indianapolis Colts, number four overall pick, their team that needs a quarterback. You know, Seattle Seahawks at number five. Detroit Lions at number six. Those are two teams that I don't necessarily think are going to draft quarterbacks because Geno Smith and Jared Goff both had really good years. But 
it's not out of a question those teams could draft a quarterback. The Las Vegas Raiders are certainly in the market for a quarterback, as Derek Carr is not going to be returning there. The Atlanta Falcons, Carolina Panthers at picks eight and nine. Those are teams that need quarterbacks. And, you know, a, a, a team that I look at, I think they'd have to trade up, but a, a team that catches my eye is if, if they were willing to to make a big move to go get C.J. Stroud is the Tennessee Titans because I, I just remember watching last year's Pro Day and and Mike Vrabel seemed very interested in watching that C.J. Stroud Pro Day. Obviously, he has Ohio State ties. And, you know, I think that would be a spot that I look at and go, man, if, if they could move up and get him, that could be a really good spot for him because they've got some some good pieces in place that that could help him you know, get off to a successful start in his career. And so, you know, certainly I think a lot of it is going to depend on, you know, trades and how the board might maneuver leading up to the draft. But there's a lot of landing spots there to where I I think CJ's odds of being a top 10 pick are very high, potentially a top five pick. And almost certainly that Ohio State is going to have its third top 15 pick at quarterback in a five year span. Dan, let me ask you this because obviously, you know, when Justin Fields was coming out, there there started to, you know, it was there was the whole kind of narratives around him and, and is he really as good as you know some some people might think that we end up seeing him slide a little bit, you know, further in the draft. Is there a number in your head and as you peruse, you know, draft project projections, mocks, and things like that, CJ Stroud will go no lower than what pick in your mind? That's a that's a really good question. I mean. Like I said, I'll, I'll 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 put the Titans there at eleven. I'll put that as the floor. Like we're just gonna save a floor. Like I don't think he would fall any further than that. I I look at it and I would say if I look at the board right now, if he fell past the seventh pick where the Raiders are picking, I'd be surprised. Like I I, I would put that as the if he fell below that, I think at that point I would look at it as he's starting to slide. But obviously, a lot can happen here. In the next couple of months, I mean, a lot of these teams we we talked about, they're going to have decisions to make here over the next couple of months of, OK, do we go try to get a veteran quarterback? You know, whether that be a, a Derek Carr, or a Jimmy Garoppolo, a, you know, who knows what's going to happen with Trey Lance in San Francisco, if what Brock Purdy's doing right now. Lamar Jackson, who knows what's going to happen with him in, in, in Baltimore and not having a long term contract. You know, Tom Brady, who knows what's going to happen with him, with him being a free agent. So. There's a lot of potential moving parts to where some of these teams that I just identified as potential landing spots for CJ could potentially not be potential landing spots anymore. But, you know, like I said, I think 11, which is where Justin Fields went two years ago, if he fell any any further than that, I would be really surprised. And I think it's likely, very likely he goes higher than that. And it's, it's, you know, it's not... You know, in my mind, you know, if I if if it was me as an NFL evaluator and I had the choice between those two quarterbacks coming out of college, I personally would have taken Justin Fields over CJ Stroud because of his mobility, he his his athleticism. I, I just think the ceiling's a little bit higher there with Justin Fields because of what he offers you as a runner. But I think this quarterback draft class, maybe there's not quite as much competition for CJ as there was for Justin a couple of years ago in terms of my guess. I think Bryce Young is probably going to be the number one overall pick. I think the Bears are probably going to trade it to someone who wants a quarterback. And I think that you know, most likely Bryce Young is going to be that first quarterback off the board. But then you've got the Texans right there at number two, a team that really needs a quarterback. and. You know, I, I know there's people who like Will Will Levis a lot. I know there's people who like Anthony Richardson a lot. But if you look at CJ's college career compared to those two guys, there's no comparison. I mean, CJ was one of the best passers in in college football for for both of the past two years. Levis and Richardson, I mean, those guys were extremely inconsistent in terms of their performance. And granted, CJ had a lot more talent around him. He had much better receivers. And so that's something that you do have to factor into the evaluation. But still, I, I just look at what those guys did in college. And to me, 
to me, it's between Bryce and CJ. Those guys, in my mind, should certainly be the first two quarterbacks and maybe the first two players off the board. And Dan Stroud's decision was the expected one, but of course, it is still going to be a, a daunting prospect for Ohio State to replace Stroud under center. But then again, they have done so, you know, wonderfully these last several years with replacing guys like Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields, you know, in years past. And you look at the the, the guys that are next up, Dan, we, we pretty much think it is going to be a, a two-man race between Kyle McCord, who's been there for a couple of years, and Devin Brown, who was a true freshman just this past season. Both guys that I think were what, like top top 50 overall recruits in their respective classes. I know McCord was a five-star on 247 Sports. You know, McCord is, is the one that has more experience Still not a whole lot. He did have that one start against Akron towards the beginning of the 21-2021 season when Stroud was dealing with that shoulder injury. But but neither guys have you know seen a, a a whole lot of action. Obviously, Devin Brown didn't even throw a pass in his true freshman season. But I know Dan that that me and you, and certainly others as well, think that this could be a close race um, for the next starting quarterback at Ohio State. However, we did put up a poll on Eleven Warriors the other day to say you know who do you think will will end up winning that starting job. And the vast majority of voters, Dan, I went with McCord at 75%, with 20% going to Devin Brown and 5% for, for Lincoln Keenholz, who will be coming in as a, as a summer enrollee, which I think really just goes to show that you know winning the starting job right away for him is probably not likely to be in his immediate future. Yeah, I'm going to be honest. I was a little surprised by the results of that poll. I, I thought it was going to be closer between Kyle McCord and, and Devin Brown because you know, like you said, I mean, we, we've seen Kyle McCord play, but not enough to the sense where, you know, you could say he's he's clearly the next guy. And, you know, I, I mean, I mean, I've certainly seen people out there, you know, in the fan base who think Devin Brown should be the guy. So I was I was I was a little surprised by the lopsided nature of that poll. Now, you know, with that being said, I, I think it does reflect the fact that, you know, McCord you know, if if you're just going to go off of like who's going to be taking the first snap when spring practice starts, I would expect that to be Kyle McCord. I think Kyle McCord goes in as the front runner because of the fact that he is the only one who's thrown a pass at the collegiate level. He's been the backup quarterback for two years now. You know, he he he's you know he played a lot more than C.J. Stroud had two years ago, and so I, I think it's very you know reasonable to to view Kyle McCord as the favorite in this competition. I, I just don't, what I, what I will say is I, I think there's a difference between starting the spring as the front runner and, and starting the spring as it being his job to lose. I think there's a big difference there. And, and, and I don't think it's the latter. I, I don't, I don't think Kyle McCord is going into this where, you know, it, it's his job to lose and, and Devin Brown has to clearly be better than Kyle McCord to to have a chance to take that job away. I, I mean, you know, I think McCord's experience is going to give him a leg up in the sense of he he's been in the system longer, he's had an extra year of development, you know, he has some game experience. Those things could all help him in terms of winning the competition. But I, I believe Devin Brown is going to get an equal opportunity to McCord to win this job in the offseason. And, you know, a lot of that is a fact that they're only going to have two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster this spring. And so both those guys are going to get a ton of reps. I would expect that they're going to make it as equal as possible with those guys throughout the spring in terms of, you know, giving them both, you know, what I, you know, one day McCord will be with the first team and Brown will be with the second team. The next day it might be vice versa. And I, I, I think they'll really try to keep things as equal as possible for the spring. And then when they come out of the spring, They'll evaluate and say, okay, did, did one of these guys really pull ahead of the other? And in that case, maybe you start moving forward if that guy going into preseason camp. But you know, I, I view this as as a a true competition. And Griffin, I know that you you talked to both those guys before the Peach Bowl, and you know, based on reading your story, I got the impression that that's the way they view it as well. What were kind of your takeaways from your conversations with those guys? Yeah, I mean, Kyle McCord, uh, he certainly feels like the, the game is slowing down for him. He said that a lot of the feedback from coaches is like, you know, making sure you're you're being vocal, you know, kind of honing those those leadership abilities, because, you know, obviously, if he takes the reins, that's going to be a big thing 
for him. He was certainly excited about the prospect of, you know, reigniting that connection with Marvin Harrison Jr. from high school, obviously high school teammates there in Philadelphia after the season Harrison had. I don't know who wouldn't be excited about throwing to number 18. Devin Brown said that, you know, he's seen night and day improvement for himself over the past year. I mean, Dan, it'll be what, like 19 months for him in the the program by the time the, the season starts. So, it, you know, it, he he only was a true freshman this past year, but coming in early, he felt like that really gave him an edge. He said he already felt like he was, you know, uh, above some of the the guys that came in in the summer just because he had been there for, for, for so long, didn't feel like a freshman even at that point. He also talked about his his playmaking ability and his his kind of mobility. And Dan, Dan I think a lot of people think that that might be a big factor in, in how the, the battle might play out because Devin Brown seems to have that, running ability, athleticism, that could be an X factor where Kyle McCord might, you know, lack some of that mobility. Yeah, I, I think it is a factor. And I and I think, you know, just the fact that Ohio State pivoted to Lincoln Keenholes late in this past cycle too tells me that there there is a a recognition from Ryan Day of a quarterback who gives us a little bit more of a mobility front could be a good thing for us going forward because if you if if you know if if you watch Keenholes he's certainly a guy who is going to use his legs and, and that's a part of his game and so I I do think that is an area where Devin Brown could could have a leg up on Kyle McCord I think you know they're both really talented passers you know you know I I feel like I can kind of envision some of the quotes that we're going to hear from Ryan Day when he gets asked about this throughout the spring. And, you know, I think one of them is going to be that, you know, it's it's really going to come down to who moves the offense down the field the best, whether that's passing or running the ball. You know, it's going to be the guy who who's most consistently, you know, putting together successful drives with the offense. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, the quarterback using their legs a lot, as we saw with CJ Stroud. I mean, Ohio State had a lot of success with CJ Stroud and other than the final game of his career, we didn't really see him use his legs very much as a starting quarterback. And so, you know, I, I certainly don't think that's a requirement. I don't think that is the primary factor in this competition, but I do think it's a factor that if Devin Brown, and obviously there's only so much they're going to be able to show in that regard in practice because they're going to be wearing uh, the, the black jerseys, which means they can't be hit in practice. So you may not get a full true feel of what those guys are as runners until the actual games begin. But I, I certainly do think that's a factor to where, you know, if, if Devin Brown shows that that's something that he can bring to the offense, that could give him a better chance. And Kyle McCord, I think too, I think, you know, it's a challenge to him too, to show that that's something that he can also do as needed within the offense. Yeah, Dan, I should also mention that, you know, you wouldn't expect anything different, but both guys did say that they're they're pretty close. I mean, Kyle McCord called him his brother. Brown said that they play Xbox together and hang out and that they're, you know, they're they're both competing for the same thing here, both rooting for each other. But obviously the competition between the two is going to uh, intensify here over the next several months. And then also when you look at, you know, what those guys have around them here for Ohio State, I mean, pretty much the entire wide receiver receiving core coming back, all the running backs coming back, you know, Cade Stover coming back at tight end. The one big, you know, kind of question mark, as we talked about, you know, in recent weeks is just the the offensive line situation, because there will be, you know, three starters leaving from that group, which, you know, isn't the best thing for a, a first time, you know, regular starter at quarterback. But at the same time, Ohio State does have a lot of talented guys in that group. So we always talk about how news breaks uh, during or after the podcast. I just said a few minutes ago that. Uh, there would only be two scholarship quarterbacks on the roster for spring practice, but it now appears there will actually be three scholarship quarterbacks on the roster for spring practice, four on the roster overall, as Ohio State just landed a transfer quarterback, Oregon State's Tristan Gebbia, who is a seventh-year senior, not somebody who's expected to compete with McCord or Brown for a starting job, more of a Gunnar Hoke, Chris Chuganov type transfer here, bringing in somebody who has been around college football for a long time, has an aspiration to be a future coach, and, and to give them some additional depth, which I, which I think is, is important, particularly for the contingency plan of if one of these guys separates himself as the starting quarterback for Ohio state and the other guy 
decides to enter the transfer portal, which may or may not happen, but it's something you always have to be on guard against in the current college football climate. It was important for Ohio State to have another quarterback who could provide some additional depth. And so, you know, I think this is the kind of move that's really all about adding depth and getting Ohio State, you know, back to that target number of four quarterbacks that Day likes to have on scholarship. Yeah, Dan, we, we remember the the 2019 spring game, right, with with Justin Fields and Matthew Baldwin and, and Baldwin you know, leaving Ohio State shortly thereafter. And then kind of the the whole talk the rest of that season was you know, Ohio State's depth of quarterback isn't isn't very deep with with Chuganov being the number two that year. So, you know, that, that definitely works into that, you know, type of scenario. And I think you just mentioned in our in our Slack channel that Gebby is actually older than our very own Chase Brown, which is kind of funny as he's well. He's not much younger than you. He's going to turn 25 this year. So he's not much younger than you. Yeah, he started. I guess he, he started school one year, one year after me. So pretty close in age there. We, we talked about. CJ Stroud entering the NFL draft. He's one of at least 14 guys who we know are going to be pursuing NFL careers for Ohio State this year. You know, you get, I think, three guys who I certainly fully expect to be first round picks, those being CJ Stroud, Paris Johnson Jr., Jackson Smith and Jigba. You know, Paris Johnson's a guy that a lot of people have him projected as a top 10, top 15 type pick as well. Jackson, his projections are a little bit more varied based on the fact that we didn't see him play at all this past season, but certainly a guy that I would still be surprised if he is not a first round pick. I still think that he should be a top 15, 20 pick. I know that Brian Hartline agrees with me on that opinion because I've seen him reply a few times to people on Twitter when they've suggested that Jackson could slide down the draft board. So I think a lot of that for Jackson is going to depend on how the draft process goes, him being able to show at the NFL scouting combine that he is fully healthy. But I think if he can do that, he could you know shoot right back up the board and certainly be in the conversation to be that top wide receiver drafted you look at after after those guys you know i think there's three more guys that i i put in there that i think probably go on day two of a draft you know i i don't rule out the possibility that a zach harrison could jump into the first round the late first round and give ohio state four first round picks i think he's a guy that's going to do really well at the nfl scouting combine can put up some really great numbers and if he does that i i think it's possible that, that he you know factors into that late first round conversation. Now, Dewan Jones is a guy that, that could potentially be in that conversation as well. I've seen him on, on some draft boards as a guy who's kind of right around that, you know, end of the first round range in terms of big boards. And so, you know, he's another guy that, you know, is not out of a question. He could be a first round pick. I think second round is is probably more likely for him. And then, you know, Luke Whipler, a guy that I, I think if we were going to identify a surprise among NFL, Ohio State's NFL draft prospects, he he's probably the biggest surprise. When when we talked last week, he actually announced before the episode published, but we had recorded before he announced. And so I think I was kind of in the headspace last week when we recorded that I thought Luke Whipler would come back for one more year. But I do think in terms of you know the the NFL draft and his stock. I think he is probably going to be a day two draft pick. I think he's widely regarded as one of the best centers on the board. You know, I don't think he's a first round guy, but I think somewhere in that second to third round range, he has a good chance of going. And so hard to blame him for making that decision to go to the NFL draft, though the fact that I just talked about three offensive linemen who could be top 100 draft picks illustrates why when we start talking about the biggest questions for this offseason, I think certainly the number one in my mind is the offensive line because Ohio State has some really good players to replace up front and not necessarily the most obvious choices to replace them. Yeah, Dan, for sure. And, and as we continue down here with you know what this draft class may look like for Ohio State, some guys that could certainly be day three picks in, in that type of range, Ronnie Hickman. Cam Brown and Teron Vincent, all guys with, you know, a couple years of, of significant um, tape as starters for that Ohio State defense. I mean, you know, some of those guys have have dealt with injury issues and, and things like that, and perhaps, you know, would have wished that, you know, the season ended a little bit differently, maybe for Ronnie Hickman. Certainly Cam Brown, I'm sure, would have wished that he would have had a 
a completely clean bill of health this past year, given his his previous injury issues. But he certainly has had a lot of opportunities at the top of the depth chart for Ohio State. Dan, where do you see all all three of those guys going or kind of stacking up in terms of a pecking order? Yeah, I, like you said, I think most likely these are guys who are going to be day three draft picks. You know, I was of the opinion you know, earlier in the season that I thought Ronnie Hickman had a chance to get himself into that day two range. But I think the way the season ended for him hurt his chances of being able to make that kind of move up the board, you know, to struggle in the two biggest games of the year against Michigan and Georgia. Those are certainly games scouts were watching closely. And I don't think that he was able to put his best foot forward in those games. And so I think somewhere, you know, in the middle to late round range is probably, you know, where he factors in, but he did just get an invite to the senior bowl. So that will be an opportunity to get some momentum back on his side. If he can have a good performance there, same is true for Cam Brown and Teron Vincent. They're both going to be in the shrine bowl. And so that's an opportunity for those guys. You know, Cam Brown's a guy that it's tough because, you know, I think when he was at his best, you, you saw flashes of a guy who could be a more highly touted NFL prospect. I think he's a guy that the medical exams at the NFL scouting combine are going to be very important for because he's a guy that had a lot of injuries during his Ohio State career. And so I think that's certainly something that an NFL scouts could have a red flag on him for. And so I think it's going to be really important that he gets a clean bill of health at the NFL combine. And I think that along with how fast he runs at the combine, because he he's a guy that has claimed to run a really fast 40. If he can back that up, that'll certainly improve his chances of, I think, going in the middle rounds. Teron Vincent's a guy, he, he he might be a little bit more on the bubble in terms of whether he actually does get drafted. I would lean toward him being picked, but I would I would guess probably in that sixth, seventh round range. You know, he he's a guy that I I, I you know I don't think ever quite lived up to that five-star billing at Ohio State, but was still a productive player, you know, a guy who I think has the physical traits to be an NFL player. And and so I think, you know, I would guess that he will be drafted, though, you know, I think he, you know, he is probably, you know, on that bubble a little bit, you know, a, a couple other guys who I think could, you know, factor into that bubble range as well. Tanner McAllister, you know, he, you know, had a good showing at the Hula Bowl this, this past week, you know, you know, a guy who I think, you know, generally, if you just look at his college career, he was you know, very solid, you know, you know, a guy who, you know, was never really a star, whether it be at Oklahoma state or at Ohio state, but, you know, I think, you know, has shown some versatility in terms of being able to play, you know, different, different safety spots, you know, obviously played primarily the nickel at Ohio state. And so I think that he, you know, certainly has, you know, you know, it's certainly a guy who's going to be in that conversation you know, whether it be as a late round pick or an undrafted free agent to to at least get an opportunity to compete for a roster spot. Jerron Cage is a guy who I think is trending that way, too, because he went to the Hula Bowl last week and actually earned an invitation to the Shrine Bowl. And so I think, you know, that's a good sign for him in terms of him showing something last week that gives NFL scouts the desire to watch him more. And so I, I think that you know, he, he's a guy that is, you know, put himself in that conversation there, you know, to, you know, potentially be a late round pick. And if, if not, you know, a guy who could get a shot somewhere as an undrafted free agent. And then, you know, a few other guys who are, are draft hopefuls as well. Mitch Rossi, you know, a guy who, you know, his, his skill set as a fullback slash special teamer, you know, I think, you know, it's probably more likely to go undrafted than get drafted, but a guy who I would not be shocked if he made an NFL roster, I think with the different things that he can do in that fullback role and, you know, all the experience he has on special teams. I think he's a guy who is going to have a chance to compete for an NFL roster spot as a special teamer and, and, you know, a fullback in, in a situational role. And then two specialists as well, no ruggles and, and Bradley Robinson will both be going through the NFL draft process. You know, I think for Noah ruggles, you know, he, he's a guy that, you know, obviously, you know, we saw it, we saw it in the final kick of his career. You, you just look at his overall and his career, he never had a 50 yard field goal. And so I think leg strength is going to be the big question mark with him. Does, does he have a strong enough leg to kick in the NFL? 
He didn't handle kickoffs for Ohio State this past season. So I think that's the thing that's going to hurt Noah Ruggles. I mean, certainly his accuracy inside of 45 yards is excellent. And so, you know, I, I think he'll get a look. I think he'll get an opportunity somewhere to compete for a roster spot because of how consistent he was on shorter field goals. I, I do think, though, that, you know, his, you know, the fact that he wasn't handling kickoffs and the fact that he doesn't have long field goals on his resume. I think that is going to hurt his chances in terms of actually earning one of the 32 kicking jobs in the NFL this upcoming year. And then Bradley Robinson, of course, you know, he tore his AC against Iowa and is still working his way back from that injury. And so that could limit his opportunities in the draft process in terms of being able to really show what he can do. But, you know, it was a guy who I think you know, was certainly in the conversation to be one of the top long snappers in the draft before he got hurt. So certainly think, you know, there, there's a chance that, you know, whether it be this year or, you know, next year when he's fully healthy, that, you know, he could get a shot to compete for a roster spot in the NFL. But, you know, that injury probably going to, you know, really hurt his chances of actually being drafted. And entering Tuesday, there was still a group of guys for Ohio State that we, you know, weren't totally sure what their next moves, you know, were or are going to be in terms of are they going to pursue an NFL career, you know, transfer some, somewhere else for another year of eligibility, et cetera, et cetera. One of those guys, Dan, two-time Ohio State captain Cam Babb actually announced on Tuesday in a video that he is is heading off to the next chapter. He he finished out his fifth year with Ohio State this year, but he still had an additional year of eligibility. He will not be using that though. And Dan, it sounds like you you heard that he he plans on stepping away from from football altogether. Yeah, that that I I I texted his stepmother on Tuesday and she did tell me that his plan is to step away from playing football, which certain certainly, you know, a move that I don't think is surprising to anyone given all of the injuries that he endured in at Ohio State. It probably would have been very difficult for him to you know have a chance to make it in the NFL and so probably the right move for him to step away from football uh, I believe he just got his second degree at Ohio State and so you know he's got a bright future in front of him you know based on everything we've heard about the kind of guy that he is and and how much he's beloved in that program I have no doubt that that Cam Babb has a bright future for him I mean I could even see him being a coach or or being involved in football some way but certainly I think a guy who has a very bright future ahead of him in his post playing career and he's always going to have that one legendary moment you know for that to be that was the last play of his football career I mean that that's pretty cool that you know the last play of his football career he finally got that long awaited touchdown and, and that celebration at Ohio State and I think that will certainly allow him to be able to make peace with 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 moving on from football. You you always got that feeling from talking to Cam Bab that if he never got the chance to actually go make a play in a game for Ohio State, that that was something that was going to weigh on him. But he he did not he did not want to give up. He did not want to you know call it a career without having that moment. But I think that that moment and being able to do that, you know, I I think everybody could recognize that that in itself, just to be able to make that play in a game with everything he's been through was an accomplishment. And I think that kind of serves as the perfect capstone to his football career. Absolutely. And Dan, as of Tuesday afternoon, as we record this podcast, we still haven't seen any official announcement or receive any official confirmation on the status of Tyler Friday Polly Nayoteote or Josh Proctor, all three kind of seem unlikely to return, but you know, we, we don't know what their next move is for certain. As of now, we, we did talk to the, the second two of those guys at media day to talk about their future. I certainly got the vibe from, from Nayoteote that, you know, it's, it seems likely he'll be going elsewhere. Proctor, you know, as well said, told you, I believe that, you know, he could see his future transferring somewhere else, staying or potentially even you know, fighting for a spot in the draft. So those guys still have until February 3rd, Dan, to make a final decision on what, they, what they're what they going to do. Yeah, I mean, there, there's been no indication that any of those three guys are, are coming back. And so I think we can, we can operate under the assumption that they will not be back. However, that has not been formally confirmed by any of them. And so, you know, 
again, could they, you know, enter the transfer portal and go somewhere else? I mean, that could still be an option that's on the table for them. You know, the NFL does have a later deadline for those seniors with the extra year of eligibility to be able to withdraw from the draft. And so those guys still have a couple of weeks to where they could, you know, decide, am I going to pursue an NFL career? Am I going to, you know, try to play somewhere in college football for another year? Am I going to move on from football altogether? I mean, we, you know, we talked about Bab and his injuries, you know, Nio Teote, Friday, those are a couple of guys who have dealt with a lot of injuries in their football career as well. And so, you know, not sure, you know, where they stand in terms of, you know, what they, what they're going to try to do at the next level. I know that when we talked to Nio Teote during the season, you know, he still definitely had NFL aspirations. I know Josh Proctor has NFL aspirations. You know, I think the fact that all those guys were were backups who didn't play much for Ohio State this this past year would would make it unlikely that any of them would be drafted if if they end up going the NFL route. But you know, certainly, you know, a guy like Proctor is a guy that I think you know we we saw flashes of potential. You know, if he you know can you know make an NFL roster, you know, I think he's a guy that you could certainly believe that his best football is in front of him, but just not just you know, don't think that, you know, he was able to play enough the last two years to to really, you know, put himself in a position to be drafted. And Dan, as we as you take inventory kind of of that whole class here really quickly, Ohio State certainly, I mean, you had six guys listed as, as day, you know, either first round or day two picks. So assuming that Ohio State gets six players drafted, which certainly seems likely, that would be the eighth straight year in which Ohio State's had at least six drafted. Certainly an impressive feat there. You know, could even reach perhaps 10 players drafted double digits, but that would require some of those bubble guys to end up sneaking into the draft in the later rounds. Yeah, I, I think, you know, just looking at the list right now, I, I think you know, you're probably looking at most likely. If, if I had to guess right now, I would put it at nine players drafted. I think it could be, you know, anywhere from that, you know, eight to 10 or even 11 range for Ohio state. But if I had to guess right now, I would go with, I'd go with nine Buckeyes drafted and I'd go with three first round picks although some, some wiggle room there on both of those numbers. And Dan, we, we did get word, however, since last week's pod about, you know, multiple other important players for Ohio state, you know, that were draft eligible this season that are going to be returning next season in 2023 you know some of these guys you know I'm, I'm about to mention already made their decision but mayan williams of course coming back you look at julian fleming cade stover matt jones coming back i believe that that was new since we recorded last week's pod steel chambers has been coming back now you know for for a while tommy eichenberg a big one for ohio state coming back after a, what 120 tackle season this year and then lathan ransom also on monday you know made the decision to come back as well for Ohio State. And, and some of those are going to be big. Certainly Matt Jones on the offensive line, Dan, we've been talking about the questions up front, you know, quite often here in the early off season. And I think the, the question everyone's wondering in the wake of Whipler heading to the draft is, well, Matt Jones, a guy who has been talked about as potentially, you know, playing center for Ohio State in the past and, and you know, even being a, a backup center and things of that nature. Well, he slide from guard to center to potentially aid this group. I, I think it certainly seems like a, a likely possibility. Yeah. I mean, I think while Ohio State is happy to have all of these guys back, I think Matt Jones is probably the most important one of these guys coming back because of Luke Whipler's decision to leave. And I, I, I would guess that Matt Jones will end up moving to center. You know, that's the position he was initially recruited to play at Ohio State. I, I would guess that that probably uh, might have even come up in terms of convincing him to come back, that he would have that chance to play center because that could certainly bolster his NFL draft stock for a year from now if, if he can have a good year at center and show he has that versatility to play all three of those interior offensive line spots. And so I think, you know, Matt Jones most likely is the center on this offensive line. You know, you know Donovan Jackson, the only ever returning starter, there's the possibility that he could move out to tackle because we did see him practice as the second team left left tackle during spring practices last year. But if I were to guess, I would guess they keep Donovan Jackson at left guard because I, I think guard is where Donovan is best suited to play. And me if Matt Jones moving to center, uh, that really leaves you know two open spots at offensive tackle and an open spot at, at right guard. I think 
You know, Josh Fryer, I think, is uh, certainly the front runner to start at right tackle. I think, you know, if, if the season started right now, Zen Mahalski would probably be the starting left tackle. The question there being, you know, can can he show enough in the spring to where they feel confident moving forward of him? Or do they potentially look to the second transfer window in May to try to bring in a, a new starter then? And then, you know, I think, you know, similar questions at guard where, you know, I think Enoch Bamahi's probably the guy who's going to get the first crack at earning a starting right guard job, assuming Matt Jones moves over to center. But I think they need to see more from him. You know, I think he did struggle in pass protection when he did get opportunities to play this past year. And so I I think he's going to need to show improvement in that regard. And if not, then, you know, could Tegris Chabola maybe be a guy who contends for that starting spot? You know, Jacob James is a guy who could be an option at center if Matt Jones stays at right guard or, you know, maybe Jacob James moves to guard and competes for that spot. You know, maybe a Ben Chrisman competes for that spot. So I I think they've got more options at guard to where I feel like it's less likely to be necessary that they pursue a transfer guard. But I I think all options are on the table there still. I, I think I would expect to see Ohio State experiment with different lineups on the offensive line during the spring. And then I think when they get to the end of the spring, they'll they'll evaluate how it all went and say, okay, do we have a five we feel good about? Or do we need to go get a transfer, maybe even two transfers to, to, to bolster what we have up front? And Dan, defensively, as big as it is for Ohio State to get both Eichenberg and Chambers back at the linebacker position, it does continue to kind of put a squeeze on some of those guys lower on the depth chart that are certainly looking for more opportunities. Just look at the snap counts from from this past season, Dan, because there weren't a lot of reserve linebackers getting a whole lot of snaps, obviously, with with Jim Knowles, a kind of well-publicized philosophy on you know lineup continuity and things of that nature. You think about a guy like Cody Simon, he could have stepped into a starting role had one of those guys left over the offseason, you know, he's probably going to be that that third man out of that that two linebacker group now. You think about a guy like Reed Carrico, who hasn't had many opportunities at all for Ohio State, uh, Gabe Powers, CJ Hicks, of course, being the the top rated recruit in, in Ohio State's freshman class this past season. He's a guy that, you know, I, I certainly think a lot of Ohio State fans are going to be chomping at the bit to see him get some opportunities. But it seems like with those two guys coming back, that he he may not have as many as he would want. Yeah. I published a story about CJ Hicks on 11 warriors on Monday. And a lot of the responses I received from Ohio state fans were, man, I, I really hope Tommy and Steele don't keep CJ off the field. And, and, you know, and I, and I really don't think that's the way people should be looking at this. Like Tommy and Steele are good players. Like, I think it's a, it's absolutely a good thing for the defense that, that Tommy and, and Steele are back. And I also think the reality is like, CJ CJ Hicks didn't play a single defensive snap last year. So like we really have no idea if, if he's going to be ready to play a big role for Ohio State next year. Now I think you'd certainly like to see him get involved and have a role on the defense and as I talked about last week like I do think that you know CJ Hicks being a guy who I think you know is a little bit faster, you know, probably has a little more coverage skill that like, I, I think he should be worked into the rotation. And I think, you know, there, there should be, if he shows that he's ready this off season, there should be a role for him. And I, and I think Jim Knowles should make a more concerted effort to get other linebackers involved rather than, you know, just, just playing Tommy and steel. I think that, you know, if, if CJ Hicks is a guy who, can give them something different than what Tommy and Steele do that Ohio state should, should certainly look for ways to get him involved. But I I still think it's a, certainly a good thing for Ohio state to have two veteran linebackers back who I think both, you know, for the most part, this past season played very well. And I I think the same thing is true when we talk about Leif and ransom at safety, because I, I, I saw some similar sentiment there with, with Leif and Ransom coming back of, man, is it really a good thing if Leif and Ransom is back? And if that keeps one of, you know, Sonny Styles or Kai Stokes off the field. And I mean, you know, it's a guy who was a Jim Forbes award semifinalist this past season. And this is a guy who had a, a fantastic year this past year. Now, granted, you know, it, it didn't finish well. You know, I mean, I think 
you know, the, the reality is that, you know, the, the last thing that most people saw from Leif and Ransom was him falling down and giving up a long touchdown pass against Georgia. And so that's kind of the image that's burned into a lot of people's minds right now of Leif and Ransom. But I think overall this past season, you know, he had a great year. I mean, he certainly exceeded my expectations last year as a guy who, you know, we didn't even know if he'd be ready for the start of a season after he broke his leg in the Rose Bowl. And then he ended up becoming you know, one of Ohio State's best defensive players this past season. And so I, I certainly think it's a good thing for Ohio State to have Leif and Ransom back as a leader of that safety group. You know, he's a guy I think could potentially move over to the free safety spot and replace Ronnie Hickman there, or he could come back and continue to play that strong safety spot. And I think some of that is going to depend on the development of Sonny Styles and Kai Stokes this offseason. Because I do think they are both guys who are going to be pushing for roles this year. You know, I think, you know, Kai Stokes is certainly a guy who could factor in at that free safety spot. You know, I think Sonny's a guy that you look at as he could be a strong safety or even he could play some linebacker. You know, he's a guy that there's definitely, we saw it against Georgia. There's definitely a lot of things you can do with him in a situational capacity as a bigger safety, you know, who can play, you know, in inside the box while also having the ability to drop back into coverage. And so, you know, I, I, I would tend to think that, you know, they're going to, you know, want all of those guys as well as Jihad Carter of a transfer from Syracuse to be involved. You know, I don't know exactly what it will look like in terms of the starting lineup, but you know, my feeling is, you know, those four safeties are probably going to be the guys who we see play the most in the back end of the secondary next year. And we also got one of the bigger, or perhaps biggest coaching staff questions answered the other day because we found out that Brian Hartline is in fact going to be the next offensive coordinator for Ohio State, replacing Kevin Wilson, of course. And there was a lot of debate. We talked about it a lot, Dan, whether it was going to be Hartline, who certainly seemed like a, a sexy pick, a fan-friendly pick, given you know his, his general support and, and everything like that. But Justin Fry was another guy that, that kind of had that more, you know, offensive line run game oriented kind of mindset that would balance Ryan Day a little bit, you know, with his kind of pass, pass heavy, you know, orientation would seem to pair well. I think we both kind of thought that it, that it seemed maybe likelier to be Justin Fry or thought that that would make more sense. But in the end, Heartline is the one who is going to get that nod, Dan, and certainly an interesting one. And, and his rise just continues, right? I mean, he, he's gone from quality quality control coach in 2018 to now Ohio State's offensive coordinator, and uh, his, his rise up the ranks has, has really been impressive. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought Justin Fry might be the guy, largely based on the fact that you know, he was the offensive coordinator at UCLA a couple of years ago. And granted, Chip Kelly was the primary play caller there, but you know, just the fact that he had been in that coordinator role. And the fact that you know we're anticipating that Ryan Day is most likely going to delegate play calling duties this season. I thought you know maybe you go for more experienced coach there in in Justin Fry, but certainly I think the fact that they did go of Hartline speaks to just how rapid his rise has been and how high his stock is as a coach. Because I mean we 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 heard that you know he interviewed at at Cincinnati back in December. I mean, I'm I'm sure an element of this is just retaining Heartline because you know he, he you know his his stock is continuing to rise and and you know he's a guy that they probably weren't going to be able to keep around just as a position coach forever because you know he has these opportunities to be an offensive coordinator and at some point is going to have that opportunity to be a head coach and so I think you know that has. A, a lot to do with it. Most likely, I think recruiting certainly has something to do with it too. I thought it was a notable quote in Ohio State's press release where Ryan Day said, "Quote: Now he'll be recruiting for our entire offense, and I think that is something that will really be positive for our program." I think you know that. I think that's a telling quote because while I don't think you should or typically would pick a coordinator based on recruiting, I think you need to pick a coordinator based on the ability to, you know, call that side of a ball and to to build a game plan. The fact that he now can have more of an influence on Ohio State's recruiting at other offensive positions, where that be, you know, running back tight end offensive line, 
you know, you just look at what he's done recruiting the wide receiver position. I mean, he he's been the best recruiting assistant coach in the country, full stop. So for for him to now have an influence on recruiting other positions as well, while continuing to coach the wide receivers and and develop those guys the way he has, uh, there's certainly a lot to like about what he brings to the table in that regard. Yeah, for sure. I mean, if, if Brian Harlan can recruit other positions the way he's been recruiting that wide receiver position, there's going to be a lot of five stars on that Ohio State offense in the coming years. But Dan, you know, looking at the the coaching stuff um, in that release, Hartline and Keenan Bailey, you know, both getting promotions there. Pretty much the only coaching changes doesn't look like we're going to have nearly as, you know, as much turnover as we saw this past offseason. Although Larry Johnson and Parker Fleming, both of their contracts actually expire at the end of the month in terms of what's on paper as of now. Yeah. I mean, I don't necessarily expect any changes at this point, but, you know, I, you know, I, I haven't heard anything about them, you know, having contract extensions yet. So, you know, it's possible that, you know, if they were going to make a, a change at either of those spots, that, that those would come, you know, at the end of a month when their contracts expire. But certainly, you know, all indications right now is that there's going to be a lot of continuity on the coaching staff. And I think that makes sense. You know, I know, you know, there's all, there's always going to be calls for changes whenever things don't go, go perfectly. But, you know, it's a team that made the college ball playoff last year. I mean, the offense was still one of the best in the country. And so there's no reason to make major changes on that side of the ball, you know, defensively, it's mostly a, a new staff that's you know, they're going to be looking forward to, to build off of year one and get better in year two. And so, you know, I, I don't think there was any, you know, reason to make big changes aside from the, the fact that, you know, there is this potential major change of Ryan Day giving play calling duties to to Brian Hartline. And, and I'm still a little conflicted on whether that's the best move for Ohio State's offense, because I mean, we saw, I think we saw it in the Peach Bowl where, you know, I think Ryan Day put together a, a fantastic offensive game plan. And I think, you know, when, when he's at his best, he he's, he's still one of the best offensive play callers in college football. But I, I also think the fact that there's so much that, you know, grabs at his time during the season that it may be better to have somebody else you know, calling the plays, you know, especially just even, you know, those in-game management things, whether it be, you know, clock management, whether it be him being able to be more involved with the defense, you know, just being able to not always have to be the guy with a finger on the button in terms of calling the offensive plays might free him up to do his overall job as a head coach better. Speaking of huge change, Dan, Big change for the Big Ten coming up, you know, the, this coming season because Kevin Warren, after just three years as Big Ten commissioner, is going to become the new president and CEO of the Chicago Bears. And, uh, you know, obviously Kevin Warren's, you know, short reign as Big Ten commissioner was, was a bit polarizing, Dan, but he did have to, you know, man that ship during some some tough times through the COVID pandemic and everything like that. Everyone remembers how controversial some of the decision making was there in terms of pushing back the college football season and everything. But I mean, I think, you know, his kind of reign there as as Big Ten commissioner ended on, on something of a positive note because of the whole Big Ten expansion with with USC and UCLA coming in, the the massive, you know, TV rights deal and everything like that, that he was, by all accounts, instrumental in helping kind of make happen. So, you know, you kind of think of those as being the, the two biggest pillars of his time as Big Ten commissioner. But Dan, how will you kind of remember or define Kevin Warren's legacy now that he's moving on to another post? Yeah, I mean, I think it'd be naive to say anything other than what are most people going to remember Kevin Warren for? Most people are going to remember Kevin Warren for what happened in 2020 and the Big Ten initially canceling the season before reinstating it. You know, that that's going to be what most people remember Kevin Kevin Warren for. And you know, and I think you know that that kind of I think that's probably a reason why we're here now with him being gone after just three years because certainly. There were people, certainly people involved at Ohio State, who very vocally disagreed with the decisions he made at that time. And I think 
you know, his approval rating immediately took a massive hit in that first year. And I don't think he was ever able to fully recover from that. And so, you know, there were talks that, you know, he, you know, people around the league were not overly eager to offer him a contract extension. And so that might be a factor in, in why he's leaving now. Uh, with that being said, you know, I do think that, you know, his legacy should at least in part be defined by what he accomplished in his final year as commissioner, which was bringing USC and UCLA into the conference and brokering the biggest TV deal in college sports history to date. Those are the things that he was brought in to do with his NFL background. You know, he he was brought in to, to do those kind of things for the conference and help move the conference forward. And so I, I do think that that part of his legacy is going to remain with the conference for a long time. USC and UCLA joining the conference next year. Those are things that he played a big role in, in making happen and are going to have a long lasting effect on the history of a big 10 beyond this year, but he's not going to be there to actually shepherd the transition of USC and UCLA into the big 10. And so certainly now it becomes important for the big 10 to get its next hire, right? Because whoever gets, gets the job, they're not going to have to worry about brokering a TV deal, but they are going to have to worry about how to integrate UCLA and USC into the conference properly. There's certainly a segment, a, a vocal segment of the Ohio State fan base that would like to see a change in leadership in terms of men basketball, Dan, because the Buckeyes are now on a four game losing streak over the last two weeks. They have not gotten a win since their New Year's Day, January 1st win over Northwestern, at which point, you know, a lot of people were looking at, at the Buckeyes as a team that was trending upward, a team that had a lot of potential a team whose, you know, freshmen were, were playing, you know, very well for that team, the, the veterans coming together as well. Since then, though, Dan, you know, th things have gotten got, certainly gone downhill because, you know, they were so close to knocking off the number one team in the country at home in Purdue. But since then, the performances have kind of tapered off. We look at the, the seven point loss to Maryland, the Minnesota loss after that being particularly bad, given that you know, the Gophers were the last place team in the Big Ten. They still are. They, they, they were the only team that didn't have a win in Big Ten play at the time. And that was a game in Columbus that a lot of people thought, well, Ohio State's going to win that game and get back on track here. That that still stands as, you know, their worst loss of the season, although it was another close one. And then going on on the road against Rutgers was, was always going to be a tough game for Ohio State. The last one ended in controversy with that Tanner Holden shot that the, the, the Big Ten came out afterwards and said shouldn't really have counted. So then playing at Rutgers, you know, one of the best defensive teams in the country, really limited Ohio State's, you know, offensive efficiency in that one. And we've, we've kind of seen now, Dan, in the last two games here, Ohio State's offense, which, you know, last week even still ranked number one in terms of offensive adjusted offensive efficiency per Ken Palm. That was kind of the calling card for the Buckeyes all season was, you know, the defense isn't amazing, but they're so dynamic on offense you know, one of the best offenses in the country. The last two games, Ohio State shot against Minnesota, 37.5% collectively, which was at the time the worst percentage of the season. And then an even worse 34.3% against Rutgers. So for the Buckeyes, they certainly have some things to figure out here. They have had, you know, Zed Key has, has missed some time with injury. Isaac likely coming back into the lineup for the past six games. But, you know, Ohio State now kind of tinkering with, with their starting lineups even. We saw a brand new starting lineup last game against Rutgers. Dan, it's actually been four different starting lineups, a different starting lineup every game of this losing streak here with, with the Buckeyes kind of tinkering with some things. None of them have really worked in terms of producing a win, though, Dan. And Ohio State desperately needs a win i would say Go, going to nebraska on wednesday nebraska being the the second to last place team in the big 10 above only minnesota yeah going into that purdue game i believe ohio state had the second best odds of winning the big 10 and so ohio state had a chance if it beat purdue to really kind of establish itself as a major contender in the big 10 and now I saw a bracket projection from Fox Sports's Mike DeCourcy on Tuesday that actually had Ohio State as the first team out of the NCAA tournament. Now, most of the projections I've seen still have Ohio State in the tournament as around a 10 seed. But the fact that we're even talking about Ohio State being on the bubble now 
when when two weeks ago Ohio State was ranked in the top twenty five, you know that that really tells you how bad the, these last two weeks have have been for Ohio State. And you know it's certainly not the first time we've seen this from a Chris Holtman team in January. If you look back in in 2019 and 2020, they had four game losing streaks in January of those years as well. So this isn't the first time we've seen a, a team hit hit a rough patch like this. You know, those teams went on to make the tournament too. And so I think certainly, you know, the people that are writing this team off, I think it's too soon to be doing that. I I, I definitely don't think anybody should be writing this team off right now. But like you said, I, I do think it's really important for Ohio State to to get some momentum back going in its favor this week. You know, in right in, in college basketball, I, I don't think there are many true quote unquote must win games in the regular season. But this game at Nebraska has that feel to it. Just the way things have been going for Ohio State. I believe you wrote that Chris Holtman's teams have never had a five game losing streak. And so this if they lose on Wednesday, it would be the longest losing streak yet for a Chris Holtman team. And so I think yeah, that yeah. one apps. I'll get in there to, to correct myself because initially I had it as they never had a five game, but then I, I double checked that they had actually, they, they, they lost five games in a row. I believe it was 2018, 19. So another loss would tie the longest losing streak in the Chris Holtman era for Ohio state, which isn't, is not a great, it's not the longest yet, but you know, that's still not a good thing for this Buckeye team. No, 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 not at all. And, and definitely, you know, this is a week, you know, you know, two winnable games this week against Nebraska and then Iowa at home. You know, if Ohio State could could win both those games, it could get itself, you know, going back in the right direction. If it loses even one of those games, I, I think we're probably going to be sitting here in, in a similar spot. Talk about this team next week. And so certainly I think a, a need here for, for this team to, to get some things going in its favor. And I, and I think specifically you know, we need to see this team win some close games, right? Because if you look at the schedule, the only close game that we've seen this team win was the aforementioned game against Rutgers, where there was the controversial shot that really shouldn't have counted by Tanner Holden. You look at that, all the other games that have come down to a possession or two, Ohio State has lost those games. And so, you know, on one hand, you could say, well, you know, at least they're not getting, you know, blown out. They've been competitive in all these games, but they're not finishing games. They're not, they're not making the plays they, they need to make to, to win those games when the game's on the line. And so, you know, I think, you know, in the Big Ten, you're going to play a lot of close competitive games. And, and right now, Ohio State's just not winning enough of them. Yeah, it's not like Ohio State's, you know, either at least recently blowing the the doors off of a team or losing a close game. Every game that they've played has been super close, you know, on this entire losing streak here. And they've lost every single one of them. They even they've had leads at the end of almost all of these games, too. And, uh, you know, they haven't been able to get over that hump. And Dan, this is just another thought on on my mind about the team in general is that, you know, I, I know Tanner Holden had to to adjust to a higher level of playing against the Big Ten, obviously. And Isaac likely, you know, isn't a guy that was brought in to score. But I do think that that Bryce Sensabaugh's kind of emergence is almost masking a little bit some of the the lack of of scoring production in particular for the the three transfers. Sean McNeil's a guy that's averaging close to, to 10 points a game. But other than that, likely is averaging one point per game in the last six since returning from his absence. And then Tanner Holden averaging like something like four points per game right now. And I think if, if you didn't have a guy like Sensabaugh producing as much as, as he is on offense, which is really unexpected for this team, I think you'd be looking at at the the lack of production from, from, from some of those guys as a bigger deal for the Buckeyes. Yeah, and I, mean, I think one thing we've talked about with this team is one of his team's strengths is supposed to be its depth and its, you know, kind of a versatility it has, its ability to to rotate. 10 guys who all have the ability to all be productive, but you look at the stats, there's five guys, Bryce Sensabaugh, Justice Suing, Zed Key, Sean McNeil, Bruce Fortin, who have all averaged at least 9.6 points. The rest of the team, nobody else has averaged more than 4.7. And so I think, you know, guys like Tanner Holden, Roddy Gale, Felix Akpara, if you could get a little bit more out of those guys, that that would that would that would help because I think right now, you know, Bryce Sensabaugh, you know, he's really the only guy that you're really consistently getting a big scoring output from a night. And we we've seen, you know, there's been some defensive lapses there to where I still don't know if Chris Holtman fully trusts him in every situation, even though he's clearly the team's best scorer right now. You know, I think certainly Zed Key is probably the guy that 
you trust the most on both ends of the floor right now is just being a reliable guy. But, you know, I, I do think, like you said, I mean, a, a guy like a Tanner Holden, we've seen some flashes there, but we haven't necessarily seen him put up anything close to the kind of numbers he was putting up at Wright State, which was probably to be expected to a degree. But I still think that's a guy that you look at as probably has the potential to do more than what we've actually seen from him so far. Yeah, for sure. But Dan, if there's one basketball team in Columbus that is not struggling right now, it is the women's basketball team, which continues to, you know, steamroll the competition because they are now, they've now matched their best ranking in program history at number two in the AP poll, improving to 18 and 0 over the weekend, Dan. Yeah, fantastic season for them. They, you know, they faced some adversity again in that game against Nebraska, but ultimately came out with a win there. So, you know, game coming up against Northwestern on Thursday, and then a really big week ahead for that team next week, as they're going to be playing two teams that are currently ranked in the top 10 against Iowa and Indiana. So I think we're really, really going to see how good this Ohio State women's basketball team is over the next week and a half or so. And uh, the next two games for Ohio State are both at home against Northwestern and Iowa. So if you're looking to you know, go, go support Ohio State basketball, you certainly can do that with the men on Saturday against Iowa and then a couple opportunities coming up there for women as well. Yeah, Dan, that's, that's all I got. Take us home, baby. Take us home. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed all the conversation this week. It seems like there's always something happening, even though we are now, you know, into the football offseason. And so I'm sure there will be plenty more for us to talk about next week. And we'll look forward to doing that then.